0: Carnivorous Couch It happens once a week It swallows us for two hours When we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film About which we then speak Carnivorous Couch With Brady and Rob
1: Hi everybody, hi everybody, hi everybody, and welcome to another edition of Carnivorous Gouch. It is a kind of dreary fall day, and I've had a hangover all day, so little uh, under I the I feel
2: you, Rob. I haven't had a hangover, and it's it's hard. <laughs>
1: well, so as Brady says, I'm Rob, and as I say, he's Brady.
2: I do say that a lot. Sometimes I just look at Rob, and I I have to tell him he's Rob.
1: Yeah, that's important. So anyway, this week we did uh John Ford's 1965 black and white picture called The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance starring James Stewart, uh uh John Wayne and Lee Marvin.
2: Lee Marvin, yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh and there's... a
2: host of other uh, reliable character actors from the time. Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh So yeah, this is a good movie. Yeah, no, I well, I mean, we'll get to that in the hey, hey, hey.
1: Oh, yeah, that segment. But uh, here's the thing. What's the plot?
2: A plot? Yeah. Okay, let me see. All right. So at some time in the future, um, I, I mean, they, do they, they don't really give us a lot on what the time period is, right? Would you say it's just 1800s probably?
1: Um. Well, I mean, it starts out. Uh it's a it's a non linear storyline. Right. So the the most of the most the the most of the plot is in flashback. So we start off with him showing up in yes, it's 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 uh it's an unknown time and it's an unknown place, I think. Yeah. They don't tell I mean, us the state. They don't tell us when. That yeah, they don't tell us much.
2: If they don't tell us much. Uh we know that even in this future time from which the rest of the movie flashes back, uh, people are still traveling around in trains, I believe. And even when the uh, wife of the senator goes out to this desert patch of land, it's in a horse and buggy, I believe. So I think we're probably dealing with 1800s, turn of the century, 1900s, maybe.
1: No, oh, yeah. It's got to be before turn of the century, I think. Yeah, okay. And there's I think no so, cars. Too.
2: Anyway, that out of the way. At this future time, a senator named Ransom Stoddard, played by Jimmy Stewart, a favorite actor of both Rob and myself. Jimmy Stewart. (laughs) He comes into this old town, old uh, western town of Shinbone, and it's clear that he has a history with the town. The people in the town know him, and not only that, they revere him. Instantly, upon arriving, he gets uh, an interview with the newspaper, the local newspaper.
1: Oh, they insist upon it. They insist upon it. It's not like a honor thing. He's like, I just want to
2: be left alone. Why are you here? And why is he here? Oh, okay. I'll say. He's here for the funeral of a man named Tom Donovan. Okay, wait, let's try this again. You say, why are you here? Why are you here?
1: Uh, here for a funeral.
2: A funeral? Whose funeral?
1: Well, I must... must. I didn't want to do the whole thing. Oh, okay. I just wanted to do that
0: one line.
2: <laughs> okay, so he's here for a funeral of a man that we haven't met yet. But what we can see just from him arriving is that the man's funeral has been no great event. He's been buried in a, a very cheap pine wood coffin. Which isn't even hexagonal. Yeah, not even hexagonal. And I like that observation when you made it. Uh, and all we get is that the guy who made it got a nickel for doing it.
1: Yeah, he didn't make any profit from doing it, and he was going to steal his boots and gun belt.
2: Yeah, and and we find out also that really no one's arrived, and the newspaper man, I believe, the editor, says, well, if we'd known you, a senator, were coming, maybe people would have actually shown up.
1: Maybe we would have have had more Pompey in circumstance. (laughs) Pompey Pompey is the the name name of the freed slave.
2: Yeah, the name of a a main character. And so what we get—
1: Not a main character. A named character. A named character. But he's not a main character.
2: Okay, so this man arrives, the senator played by Jimmy Stewart and his wife, and the wife goes out to look at this patch of land and goes to this house that's been partly burned down. And What's it's, the wife's name? Oh, uh, Hallie. Hallie. Miss Hallie. Yeah, Miss Hallie goes out with the town's old marshal who lets us know that he hasn't worn the badge for many, many years. In fact, one of the first things that Jimmy Stewart is told is that Pretty much no one from the time we flash back to is who they were, is doing what they were doing, except for Stuart, who is now a senator. He's still working. But most of the people have either died off or moved on or just – it's a different town than what he left it. And so we get that much right off the bat. And so Hallie goes out to this house in the desert and sees that it's been overrun by cactus flowers. And we can tell that there's a history with her in this house. At this point, we cut back to Jimmy Stewart, and they just want to interview him about you know, him being a prominent political figure. But since he's here for a funeral— well, He's the biggest thing to hit the town of Shinbone since uh, he left. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he insists on relating the story of who this man Tom Donovan is because he's an important part of who Jimmy Stewart's character became. Quite
0: right.
1: And as as we normally say, this is a spoiler full podcast. So there's a, it's not really meant to be a twist, but there's a thing at the end of this movie, which is Tom Donovan is the man who shot Liberty Valance mm-hmm. instead of uh, Jimmy Stewart. But um, yeah, go on.
2: Okay, so when we flash back, the Stewart character is a young man now, probably in his 30s, uh, mid to late 30s, and he's an attorney coming out. Uh, do you remember what he's coming out west to do?
1: Uh, to set up uh, law yeah, to bring he's... law to the Wild West?
2: Yeah, he's coming out to uh, set up a law office and bring some civilization to the Wild West. And so... so instantly, before he even arrives in the town of Shinbone, where all of the action of the film will mostly take place, his stagecoach is held up by Liberty Valance. Highwayman. A highway robber uh, who carries, his famous thing is he carries a whip with a silver handle. And so he robs Stewart, he beats him to within an inch of his life, takes his money, and runs off. Uh, Rob, you want to take it from here? Yeah.
1: Uh, So that happens, and then, um, yeah, Jimmy Stewart's all beat up, and then somebody, let me see, the uh, stagecoach descend into town, and then they go back and collect him later, and he gets brought into a restaurant. He's going to hang out in the restaurant. They're going to take care of him, let him eat there. This guy, uh, Tom Donovan, comes up to him and goes like, uh, what you trying to do there Pilgrim? blah 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 blah, and uh basically sets him up says uh, my credit's good here dude deuter'll relax here until he gets better, and then uh so forth and so on he'll go about his business so anyway um he yeah, meets it's also yeah oh sorry what he meets miss Hattie who's the love interest hallie. Hattie hallie yeah
0: miss hallie miss Hallie
1: yeah she's the love interest, and um you know everybody's kind of sweet on her because she's kind of the only hot chick in town and maybe one of three chicks in the movie.
2: I thought the Swedish lady was pretty cool, but she's taken.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She's got a hubby. She's got a hubby. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, um, he makes his intentions clear after drinking some brandy that he didn't want to drink, that he's here to bring law to the wild west and that, uh, the man who robbed her stagecoach should be arrested. And, uh, well, the mayor's kind of a coward, Yeah, we push over. Say. Yeah,
2: who's he played by again? Oh, gosh, I don't even know. Oh, do you mean the marshal? Yeah. The marshal's played by uh, a really famous character actor named Andy Devine. He played uh, Friar Tuck in the Disney animated Robin Hood. Well, I'll be. I just talk
0: really, really waspy <laughs> like this. My voice is always cracking.
2: <laughs> it's funny that you have Jimmy Stewart and this other guy. With these funny voices in the same movie.
1: Yeah, right? I, well, and John Wayne. But anyway, so John Wayne and him are basically... John Wayne's like, I'm the toughest man south of the picket line. And uh, Jim Stewart's like, well, you, you guys got to start doing this, not the Wild West way. And he's like, well, how are you going to arrest Liberty balance? And he basically shakes up town. goes like, I'm going to teach you all how to read. I'm going to teach you about the Constitution. I'm going to teach you uh, law and order. And uh, we're going to... Um, we're going to go be a state and right. we're not going to be a territory anymore. Well, see, but
2: I don't think it's even his intention at first to have it become a state. I think he just wants to set up his shop and do what he's like. He says actually that interesting line to Peabody at one point do what you're paid to do. I think Stewart just wants to come and do what his role is, which is to which, bring civilization. Right, yes.
1: Because, I mean, this is the time the railroad's coming, uh, states or territories are becoming states. Uh, they're starting to get representation in, in the federal government, et cetera, et cetera. Once again, it doesn't tell us exactly what time this is, but you know, I'm guessing post Civil War. Uh, oh, because Pompey's a freed slave, uh, they would make allusions to that and right. talk about the the amendment, uh, all men are created yeah. blah, blah blah blah.
2: And you know, I want to keep us on the plot synopsis, but I'll I'll just say because it's going to come up, I think that's very by design that things aren't clearly defined because it's a movie that's a very much about myth and legend.
1: Well, I thought you were going to say it was a movie about change. Like well,
2: it, last week's. Oh, and it is a movie about change.
1: I feel it's a movie on, on the surface about change, but uh, kind of underneath the subtext a little bit, loss.
2: Oh, oh loss? Oh, well, yeah, definitely, because what it is, I think, is progress and old-style myth-making colliding and how they interact with one another.
1: Exactly. And uh, so, anyway... It's very—I I think they kind of set it out of time and out of place to basically say, like, every place is this place. Everything is always changing. There is no time where we finally reach an end of change, you know? Right. I'm not very—what's uh, it called? Uh, that word that means to say things well? Articulate?
2: I don't know. I think you're doing well. <laughs> you're helping me along with this plot synopsis yeah I mean, suffice to say, I think we're in John Ford's you know romantic old West, yeah, the place where all those westerns you love, if you love westerns, Rob and I, I think love many a western uh it's set in that magical mythical fairy tale of a time, really,
1: right, so basically, what happens is they say, okay, we're gonna be a state uh he he starts to run the uh voting in town and yeah, it starts
2: a schoolhouse yes,
1: and uh Liberty Valence and the highway robber men don't like this. they want to remain a lawless territory they 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 rule there you know it's kind of like uh the the king of the kingdom, be it like a giant cat like a lion or whatever is not really going to want the uh the squirrels to come in and run things because the squirrels are supposed to be weak right. And, The uh, lions are supposed to kind of eat everything and be at the top of the food chain.
2: But a quick aside, a funny thing about that is to me, it's almost like Liberty Valance is more this agent of chaos because there's this other bigger threat of the cattlemen that really don't want any change. And I think Valance is really kind of a symbol of just if things stayed the way they were like this guy, like. Assholes like this guy would continue to run roughshod over everyone. Oh
1: yeah. And he's really sadistic and like, you know, he yeah. enjoys beating people with his whip. He beats people to with an inch of their life. Uh actually like some of the cronies who hang out with him or even have some sympathy. I think at one point in time, like they say, like, stop beating that guy, he's dead. You know, and he wasn't dead. But you know, they're just like en- en- enough. All right? <laughs> like, you beat the guy up bad enough, okay? Right. Um so anyway, uh, Basically, what happens is there's that election that's going to happen. Liberty Valance doesn't like it. He says he's going to kill the newspaper man who... Uh,
2: he gets nominated as a delegate.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah.
2: Along with uh with with Stewart's character,
1: which uh, Van, Ransom Stoddard. Ransom Stoddard. Well, I was going to go with Van, Van Stoddard. <laughs> Van Morrison. Hopper. <laughs> <laughs> Morrison. Um, yeah, so anyway, they get elected as delegates, and he goes, well... Um, I don't like a, uh, the newspaper guy writing about how I'm losing my grip on this stuff, and so he goes to beat up the newspaper guy, and then he also is, you know, hey dude, you're gonna meet me out in the street for a shoot shootout, you know, and lawman of course doesn't know how to shoot a gun or, right? He tries to learn, but he sucks at it, so he's obviously gonna get shot. Uh, but he doesn't get shot. He uh, shoots Liberty Valance, or so we think, until we find out that actually Tom Donovan did. And uh, then he gets the girl. Tom basically dies in obscurity. And uh, at one point, later on, uh, Jimmy Stewart, his character, Rance.
2: Uh, Ransom Stoddard.
1: Ransom Stoddard. Or is it Ransom or just Rance? Oh,
2: well, he goes by Rance for short. But, oh, okay. but that's that's funny to me. Like I don't know what to make of this, but the fact that our villain is named Liberty and that our good guy is named Ransom.
1: That's a good point. I didn't think of that. I,
2: I don't know what it means, but uh, it's... Yeah. I'll say it definitely plays into this idea of myth making, though, to have characters with names like that.
1: Right. So anyway, Rance goes, "Oh man, like my own, my entire who I am is based on, uh, basically killing a man." And then that's when Tom Donovan says, "You didn't, you didn't shoot that guy, Pilgrim. I did." And we get a <laughs> flashback. We, we get a really typical, like, uh, uh, you know, twenties, forties, or whatever flashback. Like, and, uh, in a haze of smoke. And, and, uh, yeah, in a haze of smoke. With a, <laughs> like, very, uh, what, what Wayne's world Wayne is <laughs> making fun of. Exactly. That's where I was going with that. So, anyway, and he goes, All right, I guess I can be. And he, uh, gets to become governor. And then we flash back forward and we see, uh, the rest of the falling action, basically. Yeah. So that's the plot.
2: Yeah, that's the plot. That's
1: what happens in the movie.
2: Well, this is a movie that, You know, I might not have even seen initially, if not for you, Rob. So I think, uh, take us away, because this has been a favorite of yours for a while. I remember you did a scene of it in high school. Uh, You showed me the scene of the newspaper man. Great, great soliloquy about uh, him wrestling with his demons to have the courage to actually print a journalistic attack on Liberty Valance.
1: Yeah, I think I did it last week, actually, uh, when we were trying to determine, or I might have cut that part out. There was a lot of... We were trying to figure out what to do next week, and I kept going,
0: oh, my favorite scene with the Liberty Valance defeated.
1: Oh, the unsteady hand betrays D-E-F-E. So anyway, um, like I said, I think this is a movie about loss um, more than about change. I think it's, uh, you know, in the way that things are always changing, things never change profound
2: (laughs) no i mean like things always change the
1: fact that things are always changing never changes
2: yeah no change never changes
1: exactly that's good change is uh (laughs) change is always jingling in your pocket (laughs) anyway um uh i view it as loss because um the, the main element of change isn't even uh jimmy stewart he doesn't change he was the same from the beginning to the end he wanted to be a lawman wanted to bring he wanted to change his environment. Or right. not even his environment. He left his environment to go out to the West, which is very much not his environment, and um, wanted to change that. And uh, basically, everybody who was already out there and and the way they were, they're the ones who experienced the loss. Uh, Tom Donovan being probably the strongest example of a West man, like a Wild West man. Right. Um, he's the one who... He loses his girl, who was building a house for her. Oh, and then he burns down the house, by the way, after he like shoots Liberty Valance for her. Right. Specifically
2: he goes, the room he was building for her, he throws yeah. a torch or uh, a lantern right. into that.
1: Kerosene lantern, it burns everything up. And he, he basically says, she's your girl now. You know, like, take care of her.
2: Yeah, this is something I was building for the future, but now that I think about it, who I am, what I represent, this old Western hero... Probably doesn't have a future.
1: Yeah, not not in this environment. And um, his, his whole thing was he was protecting her um, kind of through his strong man, his gun, his, you know, I can go sell horses, that sort of attitude. Um, but the fact is that um, he was doing a better job providing for her by teaching her how to read and how to change and, you know, what was... The, this new civilized lawful society that's coming along with the railroad and the technology um, actually creates a better world for a person like her. Right. She doesn't have to contend with the jackals in a civilized world.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, I'd agree with that.
1: And so that means that the lion or the jack... Well, okay. <laughs> I'm getting, I'm mixing my metaphors here. <laughs> but the lion who is like this strong guy out in the West with the, the six shooter on the hip and who can take care of business, um, he doesn't, he's not necessary anymore to keep her safe.
2: Right. Yeah, so, no, I agree. Even though it does take him to do away with Liberty Valance. Right. I mean, so in that sense, he, the loss of the old West, the loss of the old way is his choice. Yeah. He instigates the change. And so, By accepting it, I guess. All right, so we've thrown out a, a couple interesting thematic buzzwords already with loss and change. And another one I'd throw Loose out— Loose change. Because— <laughs> <laughs> Loosely speaking. Uh, but another one I'd throw out, just especially because of the director we're dealing with, since we're dealing with John Ford, the godfather of the old romantic Western. Did he do Red River, too? I think he did. Even though I haven't seen it, I, I believe that's a Ford. Uh, I think so. Yeah, he, d- he did many of the m- classic westerns uh, before that Leone guy came and shook things up. <laughs> Italians. <laughs> yeah,
1: with your spaghetti westerns and all that kind of stuff.
2: But so another word that I'd throw out for this movie is the idea of uh, anachronism, of something whose time I- is up.
1: Well, anachronism in film usually doesn't that uh, adhere to like say, if there's a rotary phone in a futuristic world?
2: Oh, well, I don't even mean in the case of film. I'm talking about what it's saying, real worldish, but also, since it's Ford, what it's saying about the Western itself is this idea that this art form I created, you know, who I am as an artist, the things that I valued, they're not always going to be valued in the same way, at least, that I did uh, when I'm dead and gone. And so anachronism basically is just, yeah, the idea that certain things fall out of fashion, In fact, that's a good way to put it.
1: Real quick, on Red River, that's Howard Hawks. That's why I keep getting John Ford and Howard Hawks swapped, because they both did. Okay, well,
2: that's an honest mistake, then.
1: Yeah, well, that's why I keep doing it. I I have to have that on the record anyway. Go on.
2: Okay, so this idea of anachronism, what really the film uh, is to me, I mean, it's many things, but what I really got a sense of, since it's, uh, you know, Ford pretty close to the end of his career, I believe. I don't know if this was his last film, but he was late into the game because he was making films through the 40s and 50s uh and you know and not to mention this is the 1960s now so it's a time of great change he's not only viewing change to his art form but great uh, seismic change all around him
1: mostly driven by technology
2: yeah driven by technology which but also which is also
1: underscored in the newspaper man
2: right but cultural movements too i mean think about what was going on around him just in the general culture
1: uh yeah, I think um I think that's alluded to both by the newspaper and by the school scene. Right. Right because at a certain point in the school scene they have Poppy who's the freed slave. Yeah. Um or I don't know that he ever was a slave, but but you know, he's, he's a freeman.
2: Regardless of what he right. is, he's a black man living in a time that we know like <laughs> even in even in the 60s when this was made, the United States was not good. To black citizens. Well,
1: it would be considered that even yeah. now. Yeah, or really even now. I mean, black citizens.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're still dealing with that.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, well, which, I mean, that's just something that'll be dealt with as long as race exists. But, okay. Dollar. So anyway, so there's a sense I get from Ford because I think he's pitting this Stewart character who he really builds. Like, I, I think this is such an excellent use of Jimmy Stewart's persona. Because he's completely straight and virtuous and true. Like, he's just a true north guy. And there's no reason to doubt his motives at all. And yet, what his character is bringing is essentially the end of Stuart, uh, not Stuart, of what Ford values as a filmmaker. Stuart symbolizes the end of the Old West. And then you have this John Wayne character, who's also a really likable character in his own way. But he, I think, uh, symbolizes this more anachronistic way of doing things, the old way. Ford's way. And so the sense that I got, and I know I already said this, Rob, you're going to kill me, but I find parallels with the leopard here, is that Ford is saying this genre,
1: the old West. How dare you insult this movie that way?
2: (laughs) this, This old genre, the old romantic West, the thing that I created, it's important to me. This was something important to me. But honestly... I'm not going to pretend that it really amounts to a hill of beans in the grand scheme of things. Like compared to law and order coming, to to blacks being able to have rights as they should, to people having protection from bullies like Liberty Valance, to education and free press, my romantic ideals about the West are probably very small in the grand scheme compared to all that. And so I think that really throws into relief the question of what anachronism means in the face of change.
1: All right, then. Yes,
2: yes, quite. Hmm, that's
1: quite, right. yeah, quite good. Quite, quite, quite right.
0: Uh, yeah, I
1: don't necessarily have anything to add to that at the moment, but uh, maybe we should do our Hey, How Do
2: We Like It? Uh, sure. Hey, 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 how do we like it? Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to the Hey, 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 How did We Like It segment, where Rob and I give our official word on where this thing ranks in the grand scheme of moviedom,
1: so this thing being the man who shot Liberty Valance, which yes. I am perfectly capable of saying the title properly, unlike last week when
2: I repeated it wrong fifteen times. I mean, what? Why belabor it, man? The man who shot Liberty Valance. For me, it's a masterpiece. It's maybe if it's not the best western ever made, it's easily one of them. TMWS. LV.
1: That's a pretty cool movie, man. No vowels in the, uh, what do you call those? It's not an uh, anagram. Acronym. Acronym. Ooh, cool word for something that's both an anagram and an acronym. That yeah. would be like an...
2: Anacra- anacronism. Be,
1: well, yeah, it would be an... an... <laughs> I guess so. See,
2: Ford has thought this through more than we even realized. Yes, but uh, we're
1: we're discovering things right now. Uh, that nobody else has ever discovered. Or the first. It's pretty cool. Um, So I like this movie. I think it's a good movie. I think it's probably better than most of the movies we've watched.
2: Uh, yeah, I think it's... I,
1: I, I didn't like The Leopard at all last week. Sorry, I know Brady. you didn't. Um, I, I actually liked it better after I thought of it after a couple of days later, but then I was so bored. Of thinking about of it. it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that was the problem um so anyway I was talking about how I liked this movie I liked this movie this is a very good movie um it's probably like in a bunch of top 100s or whatever I'm sure right
2: well it made the sight and sound top 250 which came out in uh 2012
1: probably made AFI's top 100 though
2: uh maybe
1: I'd have to see I would guess but maybe not I don't know um Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and give it a A minus. Okay, A minus, yeah. Because uh, well, I mean, there's nothing really wrong with it. But the uh, it's not like the cinematography is sex or anything. True. Uh, it's just really good. Yeah. But the cinematography is Well, I mean, yeah, sometimes it does have a little uh, little talky. Like it does talk itself. It does speak to me at times.
2: Yeah, no, I think, yeah, to me this movie speaks really loudly. And, you know, I'm also a sucker for a director turning a critical eye on his own work, which I think this does. How so? Uh, Okay, well, I mean, we can get into that more. I'll I'll say, I give it an A. Uh, But, well, let's get into it, actually. Okay, so what was I saying before? I was saying that essentially this idea of anachronism that, you know, this is coming out in the height of Which is an
1: anagram and an acronym at the same time. Exactly. Right.
2: (laughs) So this comes out at a torrid time for the nation. John Ford, an American director. Uh, You know, and the Old West was really a big symbol, like one of the big symbols of what American film was. It's a distinctly American genre of film. Uh, And so I think it's Ford during a turbulent time and reaching the end of his own career turning an eye, a critical eye, on the genre of the Western as he envisioned it as a very classic, romantic, meant-to-be-taken-very-straightforwardly, I think, kind of genre. And kind of saying, well, that said, there's a reason why this thing that I love is an anachronism. There's a reason why it's outdated. And a lot of it, I think, is what was going on at that time. Is It means more in the grand scheme of things for there to be civilization, for everyone to have rights, for us to be safe from people who would exploit us, then this this lovely, you know, it's like a lovely artifact, the Old West genre of film. But in the end, I think he's asking just maybe even just to inquire what's my worth, what's the value of my work? And I think he actually does arrive at an answer, which I think maybe we'll get to later. But he's asking what's the value of the Old West in the grand scheme of all this important change that the Stewart character represents. And so... Say that again? Well, essentially, because it's about the West changing. No, no. What's
1: John Ford asking?
2: Oh, well, he's asking, I, I would say at a meta level, maybe, and I might be wrong, and this is what I'd like to hear. He's asking, what's the value of my work in the romantic old Western genre of film? <coughs> this, this thing that I love, this time period that I memorialize in, in such a beautiful way. Like, sure, it's beautiful, but... Is that really that worthwhile when we consider that there's a character like Liberty Valance? The very existence of the Old West means that it's a time of less law and there's a time for bullies to run rampantly over innocent people. And the Stewart character, he represents the death of Ford's ideal of the West, but he's also easily the most likable character in the film. He's the most noble and true character in the film.
1: Yeah. But how does that ask... A question of John Ford's work itself.
2: Well, I it's I don't think it's like about the quality of his work in filmic terms, but more the value of the western. What is the value of the western? Is it just window dressing, just this beautiful looking genre of film? These these legends of cowboys and gunmen and you know tough lawmen, uh, or does it have a value beyond well, that?
1: For the most part, the western to me has always been about the conquering of, um, like, the initial phase of, uh, civilization, which, I mean, is a really horrible, like, Monroe Doctrine-y way to, to say that, but, um, you know what I mean, like, uh, it's the frontier for them, and then the kind of, uh, strong archetypal western characters you get, they do the first phase of, uh, kind of taming this landscape and, and figuring out how to industrialize. Um, and then the railroad comes in and everybody just kind of takes it over and it's Silicon right. Valley, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> right. within within 150 years. Um, and so it's basically like, you know, like there's these guys who are masters of the land. They're able to like uh, get cattle together. They're able to raise cattle. They're able to sell, you know, start feeding people, small farms around, like doing something incredibly hard. You're, you're walking into a harsh... Area that isn't civilized, and by that I don't mean that Native Americans are not civilized I mean that you know there aren't buildings <laughs> there aren't there isn't there isn't the things that uh you know people need which is food water, and shelter it's not it's right. not it's not like um say a city like New York where you right. know they already had everything shipped in from uh anywhere else to settle to build to do all that kind of stuff. Um, these guys are are doing all the hard stuff, and then as soon as the technology comes in, as soon as everybody else gets there, they're just they've they've stayed they've stayed their course too long, and now they're wordless.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, I can think of of two just off the bat that occurred to me that I think the film does kind of articulate in the course of its story uh, that that maybe would answer the question of well, what's the value of of an anachronistic storytelling mode of these tales, these mythic legends of an outdated time. And what I think is maybe just nothing more substantial than we pave the way for you. The Wayne character in his selfless action to shoot the Liberty Valance character to help the character who represents the death of his way of life is, you know, he's helping pave the way. He's acknowledging my time has come and with my last bit of breath, I might not understand it completely. I'm an old man. I'm stuck in my Western ways. But I understand that this new idea of civilization is coming, and I'll make the sacrifice. I'll sacrifice the girl for you. I'll sacrifice what a hero means for you so that the future can be better. Yeah. Well, I mean, sacrifice what a hero means... Yeah, because I think the Stewart character becomes this new idea of a hero. A hero is someone smart, able to defend himself with ideas, someone who brings law, who improves the society. Right, but
1: as far as as far as everybody else knows, he did shoot Liberty Valens.
2: Exactly, that's the sacrifice Wayne makes is letting people continue in that belief.
1: the The thing I was saying was, uh, are you going to print the story? No, it's this is the West when. The f- when the legend becomes the facts, print the legend. Right. And um, so, but I mean, I also wouldn't say that necessarily what is a hero was, um, was sacrificed because I mean, he kind of elevated the new kind of hero to the old, kind like he, he hybridized the hero ship of yeah. Jimmy Stewart. No, I agree. Yeah. I, he's, but- he, he's like, he's a lawyer. He knows the laws. He knows how to bring dem- the Democratic Republic to everybody else. And he shot the bad guy. And he got the girl.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree. I think what's really sacrificed is that Wayne himself, the old gunman, he doesn't get to be that guy anymore. You know, he he lets the Stewart character have a piece of himself in a sense.
1: Right, which is why I feel like it's mostly about loss more than it's about change.
2: Well, change is loss. It's the loss of an old way of doing things, loss of an old value system.
1: Well, I mean i i guess you can look at it that way i would say that uh we as a society are changing a lot right now but we're not really losing we're just adding that's true i mean like you know technology twitter facebook the internet like all that shit we're just adding more like um it that's changed without loss right which unfortunately is in my opinion what we're doing nowadays uh not the same kind of change, not the good kind of change that this film talks yeah, about. Yeah, no, perhaps not. I I'm, I'm in agreement. Well, I mean, my problem with the way things are going now is like um we're basically using our added added technology and stuff to reinforce um the way we do things.
2: Right. And because of technology, nothing really does get lost. We can keep records on everything. Nothing right. The West slipped away because, uh, in part, because it's a, a largely unrecorded time. It, it's a time of legend.
1: Well, uh, yeah, but then, then after that, there was railroad and then cars, right? right? Which was kind of—it's not an additive technology. It's—it—it it was a huge change, and it, okay, it's changed through loss when you have cars and you have right. railroad and you have transportation and shipping and so forth and so on. But that's changed through loss, and so the technology that we see nowadays is. Is changed through entrenchment, I guess, and through pervasiveness. Mm-hmm. Like, the technology nowadays pervades our, or maybe um, the way our society is, our societal ideals, um, what we think is the right way to do things, is so ubiquitous that the technology just amplifies it.
2: Oh, that's interesting, actually.
1: I mean, that's that's what I was thinking about. But I'm like, I'm looking back at this, I'm like, well, I mean... The technology basically destroys it in in this case. But what we're doing now is we're just amplifying and media is just so prevalent and such a part of our daily lives that there's no real there's you know, you're not gonna have another women's lib movement. Right. Right. We had one in the twenties, we had one in the seventies, but you're not gonna have a third one, unfortunately, because just all the technology basically makes uh, Saying stuff like the way things are right now That's the way they are And let me beat this into your head like 15 times harder Right So
2: So oh, oh, so here's the thing because this is a second thought that occurred to me And I think it's a, an interesting little Partner with what we've been talking about About society changing as a whole Big big sweeping changes Another thing that occurred to me And this once again kind of has Ties with our movie of last week The Leopard is The Leopard the leopard. I'll never leopard. stop talking about it.
1: <laughs> the leopard. The you wouldn't stop talking about it before we watched it, and now that we have, you have just doubled down. But I mean like back. You're, you're like back. that change through beating <laughs> it into your head through technology now, but with the leopard, you're staying the same by beating my head with a leopard shaped hammer.
2: But so if if we're talking about change and progress at the macro
1: and an Italian nail. <laughs>
2: If we're talking about change in society uh, or progress of society at the macro kind of level of of sweeping change, another thought that occurred to me is more the personal level that maybe Ford's point – I mean, I think largely he's saying goodbye to his old way of doing things. But if there's a value to what Ford did that he's finding, maybe it's more the personal level that society – you know our society might not be changing in the same way it did in the 60s, maybe not as rapidly. But people – All people certainly become irrelevant, and maybe the value is that we should all realize that we all become anachronisms, uh, individual anachronisms, as we go through life, as we get older, as we become less relevant to people around us, and uh, eventually die, and that's part of life.
1: Yeah, basically what we want and what the world has to offer start to come out of sync as the world leaves us behind. Right. Well, that's a good time to pause and maybe go do
0: our understudy.
2: Uh, sure, yeah. We're so
0: sorry we couldn't get the actors To do the scene from this screenplay But we've got two understudies And to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway So try to guess the actors, try to guess the movies Tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y couch This game called understudy Is happening, happening, happening Rad now.
2: I, I want to try to be straightforward with you and tell you that I, I think you might want to try to be a little more supportive. If I, if I can get in, I'll be taking you to, to the events and the gatherings, and, and you'll be meeting a lot of people you wouldn't normally get to meet.
1: Golly, you would do that for me?
2: We, we're dating.
1: Oh, well, I, I want to try and be straightforward with you and let you know that uh, we're not anymore. Uh, wh- wh- what do you mean? We're not dating anymore. I'm sorry.
2: Is this a joke?
1: No, it's not.
2: You're you're breaking up with me.
1: You're going to introduce me to people who I wouldn't normally have the
0: chance to meet. What? What the? F- what is that supposed to mean?
2: Wait, 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 settle down. What is it supposed to mean, Erica? The reason we're able to sit here and drink right now is because you used to sleep with the door guy.
1: The door guys. His name is Bobby. I did not sleep with the door guy. The door guy
0: is a friend of mine. He's a perfectly good class of people. What, and what part of Long Island are you from? Wimbledon? Wh- I'm wait. not going to buy my dorm. I, I didn't,
2: yes. Wh- wh- wait, wait, is this real? Uh, okay, then wait. I, I apologize, okay? I have to go study. Erica. I, yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. I, I mean it.
0: I appreciate that, but.
2: C- c- come on. I have to study. You don't have to study. You, you don't have to study. Let's let's just talk. I can't. Why?
0: Because it's exhausting.
2: Dating you is like dating a
0: stairmaster.
2: No, all, all I meant is that you're you're not likely to currently I I wasn't making a comment on your parents. I I was just saying you've got to be you. I I was, I was stating a fact. That's all. And if it seemed rude, then of, of course I I, I apologize.
0: Have to go study.
2: You don't have to study. Why do you keep saying that I don't have to study? Because you got to be you. Do you want to get some food?
1: I'm sorry you're not
0: sufficiently impressed with my education, but
2: I... And I'm sorry I don't have a
0: rowboat, so we're even. I think we should just be friends.
2: I I don't want friends.
1: I was being polite. I have no intention of being friends with you.
2: Listen, I'm under some pressure right now with my uh, OS class, and if if we could just order food, I think we should, uh, you know...
0: You are probably going to be a very successful computer person.
2: That was
0: Tweet us your answer at couch.
2: Hello, 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 hello. We're back. We're back.
1: Holy shit, Brady did a hello. I got to do it. That was fun. Yeah, right? That's why you, That's why I do it.
2: Oh, wow. It's, it's addictive.
1: Yeah. You, you <laughs> just can almost not. It's almost stop like it's Beetlejuice.
2: <laughs> yeah. I've <laughs> summoned myself.
1: <laughs> All right. So uh, that was a fun round of understudy. Uh, try and guess it, Uh, try and, um, once again, the the bet still stands here, and we've got no tweets on it, which is basically, if you can guess who Brady is, well, then I lose, and if you can guess who I am, then Brady loses, Right. and the first person to get four wins, and then the other one has to go buy a pair of high heels, and then put them on and walk around in them, while the other one's probably tailing (laughs) them and taking pictures and... And you're not allowed to tell anybody it's a bet. I uh, know, no, no, totally against the rules. So anyway, that's still part of uh, the uh, the understudy game, and and we're uh, actually, please do tweet us. Even like tweet, I don't fucking know who either of you are because you're both terrible at doing impressions. Uh, that would be nice, just yeah, because then we'll know we have somebody listening.
2: Yeah, no, no, <laughs> that, no, that's like the that.
1: main reason we want you to tweet us. When we say tweet us, it's not. It's not for you. It's for me.
2: <laughs> we're in our early 30s. We're not going to live forever. We'd Dude, I'm, just not, like to I'm we're not, not in my early
1: 30s. Oh, wait. I'm 30.
2: You're thi- well, that's early 30s.
1: No, no. 31 is early 30s. 30 is 30. It's neither in your 30s or in your 20s. <laughs> so, it's in between.
2: So 30 means you have zero 30s still. You're, right. Okay. It's not plural yet. All right. Well, I'm I'm in my 30s, yeah. early 30s. Okay, so right,
1: don't drag me down with you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so don't make me change. I'm not ready to change yet,
2: bitch, bitch.
1: Oh yeah, we got to do a rank it, bitch,
2: still too, huh? Yeah, that's true. We'll I'll do it in a little bit. All right, so I I think I I've come to at least emotionally for me an answer to maybe what Ford is really going for at a grand level here even though I kind of wanted to talk about the characters first because I don't think we've talked that much about what the characters represent and how they're portrayed.
1: So let's go through them as they uh, show up.
2: Okay, so Uh, Stoddard? Oh, my God. Yeah, Ransom Stoddard. Ransom Stoddard, Stoddard. yeah. Dude, I'm never going to remember that name, so I'm glad you do. Uh, Thank you. I think I've already already said that Stuart is a perfect – like, his, Stewart's persona in and of itself, his charm, his just complete amiability, really makes this a great protagonist. And I also think that, I think it's, in a way, for me, is Ford really making this a challenge for himself. Because, think about it, if Stewart's going to resemble... Uh, Stuart is
1: not a Western guy.
2: Yeah, he's not a Western guy. and <laughs> He's if, an
1: Eastern guy. He's an Eastern he's guy. He's from the East. And he's Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. So he's very... <laughs> Madeline,
2: right. Madeline, John Wayne. Uh, so if he's going to represent the end, you know, the coming of the end for the Ford romantic West, Ford could have just been, you know, kind of pussied out about it and made him, you know, even if he's right, he could have made him an over the over his head bureaucrat, someone who, you know, has a lot of talk, good ideas, but doesn't really understand. But I think he makes this character unbelievably likable and to me that's Ford being to himself like okay you can't say that this coming of change is because the people are dumb like no that's just casting yeah (laughs) that's
1: that's why he's likable it's casting
2: like it, it reminded me you know once again of the leopard when the uh the female character, Rob's making faces. I'm sorry. Last time, i it. rolling swelled.
1: my eyes. Last time, sticking out my tongue. But you know, when walling l- out of my mouth.
2: Ah. <laughs> it it reminded me of when the uh, the character of the daughter of the political figure didn't end up being a negative figure, but someone really kind of positive. And I think Ford is doing that with Stewart, and it's making it more of a challenge for himself to defend the old way of doing things. Like, well, you can't say that this guy's a bad representative. He is. Completely good and true, and what he represents is completely good and true as well. So that's what your old way of doing things has to stand against is this guy who's just absolutely admirable down to his very last inch.
1: Absolutely. Uh, let me see. What do I think? Uh... Oh well, Jimmy Stewart, you covered. Um, I want to go on to the next character though that shows up, which would be Liberty Balance himself. Once again, Lee Marvin does a really good. Like, uh, there's a, is there a John Carradine in here? Did I? Yeah, I was talking about that. You said like, there was,
2: but who, who was it? I, I don't think it was remember. the Doctor. Oh, okay. maybe.
1: Uh, yeah, I believe it was the Doctor. Was a Carradine. Um, anyway, but Lee Marvin really looks like David Carradine in this to me, like evil David Carradine, like, <laughs> yeah. like really sadistic, like.
2: All right, uh, dude.
1: Yeah, yeah. The way he says "dude" is it just reminds me of something, and I don't know what it is. It's not, it's not, yeah. um, it's not Big Lebowski, yeah. but yeah, he's just like, step out there, dude. Like yeah. it's just really, like it's really like mad doggy growly, evil sounding. And yeah. and the guy like, I you know I'm kind of amazed 1965 that they were able to show him being that violent. I, he wasn't that violent to Miss Hallie, which I think was the. Hattie or Hallie? Uh, Hallie. Hallie. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, like, yeah, you kind of really get the brutal nature of this particular guy. Just doesn't give a fuck, smashes shit wherever he goes and everything. Um, I guess the next character.
2: Oh, well, can I can I say something about Valence as well? Fine. <laughs> I mean, and actually, just, there's another thing I just want to quickly get out of the way. Because we're talking a lot about archetypes, and I think this movie really works well on a thematic level. But I think what makes it a great movie is that it doesn't lose itself in the woods doing that. These people are real characters that we really come to care about. Well, not not Liberty Balance. Well, I mean we <laughs> we come to care <laughs> about you're him to say something about
1: Liberty Balance.
2: <laughs> we come to care about him in that way that we care about a really awful antagonist. We
1: we're He's kind of the boogeyman, by by it's just like when's he gonna show up? And when he shows up in Peabody's like printing room. Right. Like Peabody lights the lantern and looks around and it like Liberty Valance is there. And he was he was actually quoting some plays like, and we summon up and then he lights the lamp and nobody Yeah,
2: no, that's a great and scene. like
1: and I mean, I mean, like I like to take that. There's a break in that scene and that we cut to the restaurant and be like, well, he's not going to eat in here tonight because he's drunk. And then he also goes to the Mexican place and get. But I feel like the whole thing without those cutaways is like one scene that just kind of rolls through. He he goes, I I need courage because I'm fucking scared of Liberty Valance. So now we're talking about Peabody. I guess we're not going in order. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, so he goes and he goes. Oh, do we have credit? And they go like, Well, you don't want to go to the saloon because Liberty Valance is down there at the saloon. So uh, probably not do that. Right. Yeah. So he gets it from the Mexican guys.
2: Yeah, he goes to the Spanish saloon
1: because the uh the sheriff has a. The sheriff is somehow related to them, right? I think
2: his wife is um, Mexican. a Mexican, yeah. Right,
1: because his daughter is Juanita. And her family yeah. owns it. Although we don't really need to talk about Juanita.
2: Uh, no, she doesn't really. Appear she was much. just in
1: school and she her hand was always up. She's like the fucking Mexican Hermione E. Granger. Yeah. yeah, But I mean, all
2: I wanted to say is I think I like that in spite of all the great ideas in this movie that Valance, I think, is a flesh and blood villain. Like, yes. we believe in him and is more than an idea. And he's creepy.
1: He's very creepy. <laughs> like, when it, when he shows up, you're just... And, like, uh, when he's riding around in circles, like, just shooting off his gun. And it's just like, man, he could easily just, like, fucking accidentally hit somebody. He's yeah. Just sending bullets in whatever direction. He's fucking scary, man.
2: Yeah, he's scary and persistent. Yeah,
1: he's, like, chaos incarnate. He's like the nothing in the fucking My Little Pony's old cartoon.
2: <laughs> yeah. The Anton Chigurh of his time, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, that said, so... I'm just getting out of the way that I was scared shitless of the nothing when I was a kid. Uh, that was really terrifying. <laughs> um, so you can run,
1: but you can't hide. <laughs> anyway, go
2: on. But okay, so I, I just wanted to get out of the way that he is a great fleshed-out villain. But I think he serves a purpose as well to the theme, which is I think without valence without Valance, which would be really funny because then it would be the man who shot something. <laughs> uh, would be the title of the movie. But without The balance, man who shot his left,
1: baby, toe off.
2: Yeah. Without that, Ooh, here's so what nice. the movie would have been, I think. It would have been about a lawman, an East Coast law- lawyer coming out West, having this kind of complicated, well-defined relationship with an old West type, and the old West type eventually mm. seeing somehow that, you know, a change is coming to the West. And that would have been a good movie. That would have been fine and allegic, and Ford would have done it well. But I think... Valance really stokes the fires. Ford is stoking the fires against himself because it's not just that the West is passing, it's that it has to pass. If someone like this can exist under this system, then Stewart's character is necessary.
1: Also, by the way, John Ford, what a fucking simple, simple, simple name. <laughs> Four letters per each, first and last, no middle, and just like, John like it couldn't be more white and if it was like Guy Whitey Corngood. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I agree. Anyway, um so let's talk about uh Tom Donovan.
2: Okay, Tom Donovan. Uh you go first.
1: Yeah, I can actually remember this name. So that's Donovan. Donovan fuck. I can't remember this name. <laughs> I'm <either>. so sorry. <laughs> Shit on my point, why don't you? Um it's played by uh John Wayne and it is basically just John Wayne. His character is John Wayne, and it's like, hey, you know those other Westerns that uh, John Ford did? Yeah, I was me then, and I'm me now. I'm the old West. Don't you know I'm the old West? I'm in every fucking Western. Obviously, I'm me, John Wayne. He is him. With 20 pounds of impacted fat in his intestines. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) But, you know, there are some Wayne roles, though, where, like, you know, Wayne's a beloved cultural figure, I think there have been some roles where he's been more sanctified or at least portrayed as infallible. I like that, you know, kind of put up against Stewart's character. Wayne isn't this sanctified figure. And so there's, when we first meet him, you know, he helps Stewart's character recover and there's definitely nobility to him all throughout it, You know, not the least being that he helps Stewart make his way as a political figure and sacrifices his own standing doing so. Uh, but You know, on the flip side, there's this personality to him that has a stubbornness and even a quiet kind of megalomania, I'd say. And this air of invincibility that stems from years of being this dominant archetypal manly man Western type.
1: Yeah, I guess a little bit. I mean, he is striking matches on everything. Yeah, He's
2: prickly. He's (laughs) he's prickly. And he doesn't go down completely quietly. He makes fun of Stuart. What do you think of that paint scene? Like he tries to humiliate him.
1: Oh yeah. Well, uh, the scene where he's showing him how to shoot the gun. Yeah. And like he just like puts three paint cans on either side of him, and then shoots the one right next to him, so he gets covered in white paint. Yeah. And then <laughs> Jeremy punches him right in the
2: face. Stewart gives it as good as he gets.
1: <laughs> but he can throw a punch, Pilgrim.
2: See, a- God, I can't do
1: John Wayne right now. You do John Wayne.
2: I uh, can't really do a John Wayne either, there, Pilgrim.
1: Hey there. <laughs> <laughs> hey there how are you doing I sound like Jim Carrey doing like a hey, a Bilgrim? southern guy hey Pilgrim how's it going oh is that is that true look I mug a lot that means I smile a lot I don't know why I said that because they didn't use the word mug back in the western <laughs> anyway uh, more characters we want to talk about
2: I, I mean I think that's really the three like it, the I did want to mention them. that whenever I see Old Poppy
1: because of Django Unchained I can just look at him and I just go like phrenology phrenology oh god and
2: he's done it again
1: yes I've I've managed to alienate our audience which we are now just referring to as Ben
2: (laughs) I I think maybe you haven't able to have you alienated Ben yet? I don't know
1: our audience name is Ben
2: we name our audience because it is a man (laughs) Ben
1: No, no, we have women in our audience, Uh, too. That's true. Yeah, They're just called Ben. Oh, yeah. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and do our little break and do our rank it for the week. And uh, we'll be back with some final thoughts and a little debate on
0: next week. Right on. All right. Pilgrim. Pilgrim. Rank it! Rank it! Rank it, break it, break it. Bitch.
1: Um, Okay, so we're going to rank our top seven David Fincher films this week.
2: Yeah. This will be our rank it, bitch, for this week. Rank it. There are eight notable feature films. Rob and I have each missed one. I never saw Alien 3.
1: And I never saw The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, mostly because I watch stuff with my girlfriend and she won't like it. Indeed. That would be a remake anyway, so fuck
2: it. Fuck it, man. Let's go bowling. Let's go bowling. All, All right, right, Rob, you want to start us off? Uh, no, you start seven? us off with your number seven. Okay. Um, you know, I actually like this movie and I need to revisit it. And I first saw it with your sister when I my freshman year in college, I went on this epic trek. Uh like oh, I was man. supposed to go meet someone at the Orange Bowl, and I ended up at UCLA with Mandy. I was tired and she was like, It's okay. Just lie down on my roommate's bunk and watch the game. And it's it was a movie. It was a cool movie. It's a good movie. Uh, Michael Douglas. It's a lot of fun and twisty.
1: Are, are, you, are you pretty much just going to leave it as you're tired? And my sister was like, It's okay. It's okay. Just lie and watch the game?
2: Yeah, she. Well, like, I was. Because that sounds like
1: you were on some drugs.
2: No, no, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't on
1: drugs. Because usually when somebody goes, It's okay. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> just lie down and watch this movie, normally it's not the game.
2: normally not no no i just i woke up at 7 a.m and i went on a trek from la all around la yeah
1: that's back when you used to walk for like hours and hours and
2: and i went all the way to pasadena and so she had me watch the game and i think you know it's it's a good twisty movie with an aha twist i don't think there's much to it beyond that it tries to shoehorn stuff in about you know about uh, a capitalist, a businessman realizing the fault of his ways. But mostly I think it's a fun movie. A fun, twisty movie. And, uh, yeah, I'd like to revisit it. All right.
1: Are you done? I'm done. All right. My number seven is uh, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Which I felt was kind of sucky.
2: <laughs> I... Yeah, uh, well, I'll get to my thoughts. I mean, it's...
1: <laughs> It's like watching Seven Years in Tibet uh, with a really bad hangover and your mom talking at you a lot. Like over the movie. That's what The Curious Case of Benjamin Button is. It's like, let's take a good actor like Brad Pitt and then put you through a very long journey. And I like Seven Years in Tibet. I think it's a good movie. Or wait, maybe I don't like Seven Years in Tibet that much, but I think it's a good movie. Um, However, uh, it was long and... If you were hung over that day and your mom was talking over it, that's exactly what watching the curious case of Benjamin Button is like. I did see it with my mom and we did get into a fight. So maybe that might have something to do with it.
2: Maybe. Anyway, your number six, Brady. All right, my number six. I saw this with my roommate Ben Stein. Uh I like it. This is a nice B plus. You just said it. Curious case of Benjamin Button. You know, I recently found a good deal on it at Blockbuster, which is going under, but you know, I bought it for like a few bucks. And I read the there's this, you know, really sensitive foreword in it about how this entire movie movie is suffused with uh, the erosion of time. And I watched it and like, yeah, well, that's right. Like and I did like that about it.
1: But But if it was well done, you wouldn't have to fucking say it.
2: That's true. And also it's writer, screenwriter Eric Roth did Forrest Gump. And it's impossible to escape how much of this feels shoplifted from Forrest Gump the entire feel of the story of a man just passing through the times. Uh, So, you know, it was a respectable B-plus for me, but immensely overrated also in a lot of ways. Uh, So, you know, I I thought it was sensitively made, but number six. My number six,
1: Alien 3, which I've seen twice. Um, Both, well, okay, when it first came out, I saw it in the theater. And... Uh, it was Wayne Shea, who's a business friend of my dad, who thought I was good with computers. And I was, it turns out. Um, you are? Yeah. I got people calling me, asking me how to set up an entire network, of, and they just want me to walk them through it over the phone. Brady was listening to me go through it. I'm like, uh, you're kind of asking me to do hours worth of work with you over the phone. Um, anyway, uh, I didn't like it. I saw it again once where we stayed up all night and watched all four Alien movies. Uh, And I tried to go to sleep, but my friend Anthony Franceschi uh, kept force-feeding me nodos and punching me. So that was in Utah, too. So there was no booze. Um, It was unfortunate. Anyway, uh, it wasn't very good. Uh, Might have had to do with when or how I saw it again. However... Uh, Better than the Curious Case of Benjamin fucking Button. (laughs) Brady, your number
2: five. My number five is the one you haven't seen. It came out recently. It's lovingly made. The editing is really cool. It's got an awesome Trent Reznor score. But at the end of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, in spite of everything adding, like having a bunch of good elements, I didn't feel like it added up to that much. I mean, it's a story about... A guy, a fallen newspaper man chasing a killer of women. It's a fun mystery while you watch it, but I don't think it – I didn't know what it really had to say. So it had good acting and was well shot. Everything was in place, and at the end of the day, I just don't know what it's really about other than a nice potboiler mystery.
1: I haven't seen it because it sounds like misery porn.
2: It's not misery porn. It's just – it's a mystery with a misogynist. Oh, I'm sorry. Mystery porn yeah it's a mystery <laughs> it's a mystery about a like with a misogynistic streak to it. that's all really it is to me
1: all right, well, my number five is seven, which is a good movie, but I don't really remember it. I've seen it a few times, probably not in order mm-hmm. um it's fine, so it's my number five
2: that's your number five yes sir okay um, my number four. Uh, now that we're at four, we're getting into movies that I really have strong feelings about. Like I like all of these a lot, and I'm actually even surprised at myself to have this so low. But I'm putting Fight Club at number four because uh, what you'll see at my number three, I, I actually think deserves some serious consideration. Uh, Fight Club is great. Like it's it's unbelievably quotable, well acted. It's Fincher really coming into his own finally as an editor, uh, which is really you know one of his strong strong things to recommend him by uh, yeah no, i know i love fight club what else can i say
1: all right my number four is zodiac and i'm not really going to say a whole lot about it because i'm sure brady will i will <laughs> but i liked it um uh maybe the uh, toby Maguire, not so digging
2: it's not toby Maguire. who's the guy well jake gyllenhaal is one of them
1: who's the guy who's he's ri- writing the articles?
2: Yeah, the. the well, he's, is that
1: Jake McGillenhall?
2: Jake Gillenhall is the one okay. who's into Jake Gillenhall.
1: Toby McGuire, surrogate, didn't like him. Uh, however, it was a well made movie, and I like it better than the, the uh, curious case of Benjamin fucking <laughs> Button or <laughs> Alien 3, which I saw knocked out of my brain on uh, basically caffeine pills and root beer.
2: All right. So that brings uh, me to my number three. Truth be told, I've only seen this once, and it was hard for me to put it above Fight Club, but I really think Seven's a strong movie. I really like that it's an uncompromising, hellish vision. Uh, There are quotes that I think are great that I still remember, like when they find the guy who was dying of sloth. And so the doctor is talking to the Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman character, and he's like, guys, if I shone a light in this guy's eyes, he'd probably die of shock. He's gone through more torture than most people will ever experience, and he still has hell to look forward to. Like it's it's just such a bleak vision, and it's probably Fincher's most uncompromising film in a lot of ways.
1: Alright, my number three, very good movie, uh Social Network. Like it. Like it quite a bit. Um I watched it twice, actually, and I didn't want to like it as much as I did. Because uh not so big on the Facebook thing, but now I'm in it. Now I have to be. Now we all have to be. And uh, it has a, a lot more to say than just being about Facebook. But
2: um, It almost has more to recommend th- it if you don't th- like Facebook. <laughs> it strikes a
1: little close to home for me, so it's hard to like. But I like it. I think it's a very well-done movie.
2: Okay, what is that, number two now? Or wait, number
1: two for you. That number two for number me?
2: Three. Okay, this one is hard because number one and two are, I think, Fincher's two masterpieces that instantly vault him into the conversation with the Coens and Paul Thomas Anderson and a lot of our best directors working. My number two is Zodiac. I think Zodiac is an unqualified masterpiece. Uh, it's, it's about the search for a killer. It's about the erosion of time, the passage of time, searching for a crime that can never be solved. Fine, I'll watch it again. <laughs> it's it's just a great film about obsession with you know the most perfect Mark Ruffalo performance I've ever seen. Probably my favorite Robert Downey Jr. performance. You said
1: it was better than Benjamin Button. What more do you want from me?
2: <laughs> anyway, it's it's great. It's it's a masterpiece. It's It's it, also better than Alien 3. Do I really <laughs> have to love it as much as you? No, no, you don't. But I love it. It's it's a masterpiece. Um and, and, but what it is. It just, you know, I'll try to be quick, but as a lawyer, here's what I like. In the end, what it's about is it's about a mystery that never is actually solved. The most that Fincher does is kind of traces it and is like, you know, it was probably this guy. So part of what it's asking is okay, so we put our facts together. We couldn't get a case together. The courts don't give a shit, but we probably know it's this guy. Is that enough? Is there justice just in at least being able to know for yourself who committed a crime uh and, and is that worthwhile
1: my number two is a movie i really like a whole lot it's called the game
2: oh the game's number two game is oh. number two man oh, oh man
1: the uh, game is awesome are you kidding me
2: it's really fun no it's fun yeah that's a nice
1: bra she had too who, red, red bra
2: who who was the girl in that
1: oh the some, red bra i remember that red bra yeah <laughs> Michael Douglas, uh, excellent uh, poster design. Um jigsaw puzzle pieces, one of them missing or maybe more than one. Um I liked incredibly realistic on the car sinking scene.
2: Yeah, I remember that yes, scene
1: because you there is no way to open a car door until the yeah. pressure equalizes.
2: You got to let it settle on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that is a scary scene. I remember that was featured in the trailers, wasn't it? That was like a big one that
0: yeah,
1: I saw that with Joe Thompson.
2: When it's rolling down the hill.
1: Uh, that... no, no, it doesn't roll down the hill. He, uh, this guy is driving him. Oh. And okay. his driver just drives him into the off the like fucking dock.
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: And he goes like, "What are you doing?" And he's just like flooring it off the dock, and he bails at the last minute and leaves the guy in the car.
2: Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was cool.
1: That's my number two.
2: All right. Well, my number one. Maybe Fincher's
1: best movie.
2: <laughs> oh man. He knows how to get my goat. And I love my goat. I wish he wouldn't try to get him so badly cuz he's nah. a sensitive animal. Nah. But okay, Sorry, I'm,
1: I'm I'm kicking his goat.
2: Um get back into your pen. <laughs> nah. Nah. My number 1 movie uh you know caused a big stir when it debuted a couple of years ago which, you know, led to inevitable backlash of people saying it was the most overrated movie of all time if they didn't think it was one of the best movies of the 21st. I still think it's one of the best movies of the 21st century. It's the social network. I think it's great in every single department. It's a masterwork of editing. And also I love that it's about – well, okay, in addition to just being about someone who's essentially a nerd who doesn't care about friends – who creates a thing that basically redefines what friendship is for people. We're still locked into this thing. I still use Facebook, and it's really changed the way socialization happens, and not for the better, necessarily. Uh, So it's that. It's about the fact that Reznor's score interacts perfectly with the editing, which is perfect. You've got acting. Jesse Eisenberg is completely locked into what Fincher wants, and it's Sorkin's best script ever. It's just... So many collaborators working at the very top of their game. I doubt any of them will approach this high again, but let's pray that they do. Social Networks is a perfect movie.
1: My number one is Fight Club.
2: Respectable. Fight Club's awesome. I don't
1: think I need to say anything to justify that.
2: You met me at a hard time in my life.
1: That's what she said.
2: He said it. Oh, wait. No, yes, because of the sex.
1: You said you met me at a very hard time in my life. Oh, yes. What you meant is you met me at a very interesting time in my life. But if she said hard time, that's what she said. I mean, if he said hard time, that's what she said.
2: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Quite. All right, folks. Well, that's uh, that's our Fincher list. Oh yeah,
1: that's what it is. And uh, we're gonna try and shy away from these and uh, you know things more like our seven favorite colors, or our seven favorite Jello flavors, or seven favorite colors of L- M and M's and stuff like that. And you know maybe get away from the whole film, film thing. thing. <laughs> God. Or maybe not. Maybe we'll just stay on the film thing. I don't know. I need to convince uh, somebody. Don't know. I'm not gonna say who. But I need to convince.
2: I'm curious to see him. who that person is.
1: Goodbye. Well, not goodbye, but on with the show.
2: It. Bitch. Hello, everybody. Uh, we're back. We're ready to put a cap on our discussion of the man who shot Liberty Valance.
1: All right. Do you have anything else to say about it?
2: Well, yeah. I, there was one more thing I wanted to say because I know we took a break from discussion. Say it. <laughs> We took a break from discussing themes to discuss characters, but I want to get back to the issue just very briefly about what Ford was kind of saying about what the value is of the films of the Old West, the romantic Old Western genre. And I think I've come up with my own theory on it, and I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, Rob. We mentioned that quote. I think this is the most famous quote in the movie is at the end – when the reporter says to the Jimmy Stewart character, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend.
1: I think the most famous quote in the movie is, whiskey, quick. And he <laughs> just takes a swig of it because he doesn't have any intention of saving Liberty Valance. That I mean, that's a great and quote. And he puts it away and just kicks him and goes, dead. Well, what quote were you talking about?
2: Oh, when, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. That's like...
1: Oh, right. Yeah. But we already talked about. I mean, clip. this
2: movie's too good to have a tagline, but that is the... Ta- but uh, Okay, but that, I think, uh, gets at something in terms of... Because Ford, in a lot of ways, is deconstructing his genre and saying, you know, I'm an old man, this is an old man's genre. And, you know, the same way Wayne's character makes way for Stewart, the new way, Ford is kind of saying, you know, you young bucks, like, I did my part when I was young like you. I was a Hellraiser, too, and now, you know, things are changing. Go ahead, Rob. You're fuming.
1: <laughs> no, actually, I think uh, I think the only thing that really says is, uh, hey, for anybody who's saying this isn't realistic or I'm talking about uh, uh, Western film in a kind of grandiose way or whatever, that's what you do. That's what we do in film. That's what I got from
2: that quote. Oh, yeah, I mean... In terms of the quote directly, but I'm trying to think, like, in terms of what the movie's stance is. Because, all right, I definitely think this is Ford examining, giving a love letter, but also examining the value of the Old West in relation to the new. You know, (laughs) stop it. (laughs) And so I think something in that quote hints at what maybe the best answer of the Old West's value is. Is yes, the new is going to take over the old. You know, Wayne's old house is going to be overrun by the cactus flower. Things in the old way are going to pass. Anachronisms have their day and then recede into the ether. But I think what Ford, maybe at the end of the day, is saying the value of the old western is to the new, to the new filmmakers, to the new anything really, new societies is there's value in the idea of legend and myth-making. So even as Stuart goes forward and brings civilization through his facts and his actual ideas, there's something powerful and important in the old myth-making process. Myth gives greater power to ideas. It expands things to be larger than life, maybe. And at the end of the day, Stuart uses myth. Wayne lets Stewart have the myth of the man who shot Liberty Valance. It's right there in the title. Uh, to help him carry his new way forward. And I think that's, at the end of the day, something that is still valuable about old traditions like the Western. I think
1: that's an excellent way of putting that, and uh, I wouldn't argue with the thing.
2: (laughs) Well, all right. Should we talk about what we're doing next week?
1: Yeah, I think that's the uh, most pressing thing right now.
0: Okay thoughts next week uh uh david
1: really wants to do uh kurosawa
2: well i love kurosawa
1: yeah david wants to come back and he says he'll be a lot more articulate next time and that he uh just kind of was caught off guard by the long movie oh no it's i think he posted it on my sister's fine. facebook or something like that uh so yeah we could do the one that always puts you to sleep high and low uh,
2: I'm so sorry I fell asleep through that. It was really good.
1: Well, that's probably like the third or fourth time you've fallen asleep, right?
2: In high and low? Yeah. I've only tried to watch it the once.
1: Oh, just the once? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you were telling me that you always fall asleep during... No, no. Uh, uh, David Samuel Shalen suggests the bad sleep well. Okay. Which, uh... Oh, wait, no. Not the bad sleep well. Not like a well in the ground. That's... for bad people to sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking that it's for the bad sleep. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you drink from this well, you'll have bad sleep. Um, no, no, it's the bad sleep well.
2: Because as far as wells that you sleep in, I think they're all bad sleep wells.
1: Yeah, because you're wet. Yeah. And not in a sexual way. No. No. No, you're wet and uncomfortable, soaked through to the skin by waterway.
2: Yeah. And Don't then, sleep in a Lassie well, that's what you. we're saying. Yes. Yeah.
1: Don't sleep
2: in an electric well. Ba-dum-boom. Okay, so, so there's that. What about you? Do you have any ideas?
1: Okay, so there's that idea. Um, I did have ideas earlier today, but okay. at the moment they're not coming to mind. <laughs> uh, I really want to do blowout sometime, but we'll table that for later. Okay. Um. Let me see. I really want to do more De Palma, I guess I guess is what I'm getting at with that. Uh, original Scarface.
2: Original, oh, what, the, the Howard, Howard Hughes. Hughes one. Or okay. Hells
1: Angels, because I haven't seen either of those. But I really love The Aviators, so I really read up a lot on Howard Hughes. And uh, the Collier Brothers. I want to make a movie on the Collier Brothers someday. That would be really cool. Yeah. I mean, like, I want to make, like, a...
2: Wait, who are the Collier Brothers? Tell... Tell the listeners
1: Oh, oh, uh the Collier brothers are these two brothers in New York who lived in this old brownstone and they had like uh super rich dad, but uh then he divorced his mom during a time, of course, which was not a good time to divorce because a time of course when it was not a good time to divorce. Um What a
2: depressing <laughs> doctor Seuss you will be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, oh. Can the listeners smell that? <laughs> uh, it's not smello cast. So that's good. But anyway, um so yeah, this was back before when divorce was really frowned upon. Anyway, uh divorces the mom, mom dies, leaves them the house. She's always kind of mothered the boys. They've kind of never really been out in the ether. And um you know, at a point in time a uh freaking newspaper reporter, I think, or maybe just a neighbor Goes like, there's an odd smell coming from that house. I know that smell. There's a dead body in there. And then so, like, they ring the doorbell, and nobody comes out, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And so this wealthy family in Harlem is, uh basically, they've just been shut in for so long, except for one of them leaves every right. now and then. William and Langley were the brothers' two names. One of them leaves every now and then, and, like you know, starts picking up junk off the street and brings it over to the house and everybody, it's kind of that house like in, uh, the sandlot or, uh, what's the book that the sandlot kind of draws from. Okay. The whatever. Sandlot's
2: based on a book.
1: No, the Sandlot's not based on a book, but there's, there is a book with a cat with an old house, which theoretically has a bad person in it and all the kids are afraid of it and they have to spit on the hinge and blah, blah, blah. And that's uh, no, all okay. the sandlot. I forget what book it is, but, uh, it's something anyway, uh, tangent, and tangent. And tangent. And signed to the cotangent, so katoa, Anyway. Um, so they go into the house. They break down the front door. But they can't get in the front door because it's piled high with junk. So they get a ladder and go to the second story. And it's also piled high with junk. But they start excavating. And they start pulling out all this junk. And they finally find um, Langley Collier. Like who's dead. Like with his head and his hands, uh, starved to death. Okay. And then like, so now everybody's like, "Where's William Collier?" And there's like all this n- news feed, like, "Hey, trickery!" It's 1922, and we're wondering where is William Collier? Have you seen him? And it's, like all these anonymous tips come in. I saw him getting on a plane in Dallas. I saw him going here. You know, like, right. And uh, then they eventually they just they just keep hauling out junk and junk and junk and junk and junk, and eventually they um they find. William Collier in the house and they, they had just been like such crazy, like uh, hoarders that they had built mazes of old newspapers and stuff like that. And then they had built tunnels (laughs) and the dude was on his way to bring food to his brother Langley, who was invalid and blind. And uh, one of his own booby traps had fallen on him because this was at the time when Harlem was becoming gentrified and they were like super kind of racist and afraid of all the black people. So they had made booby traps in case the black people got into their house and so I'm just like envisioning these like giant crane shots over like a maze of like booby trapped newspaper shit. <laughs> like yeah, I want to make a movie about that. Anyway, on <laughs> what we're trying to pick. One All right. Next, for next week, week we're gonna watch Rob's <laughs> movie. <laughs> we're gonna watch Rob's movie that he needs a large budget to make. So uh please get me your large budget. Uh, Your best screenwriter, your best cameras, and uh, I'll make it.
2: We'll watch it next week. We're going to need 24 cameras. 25. 25.
1: I don't like odd numbers, but I mean, what if one breaks?
2: Exactly. You need (laughs) to be prepared. Otherwise, you die under a pile of newspaper.
1: Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah, with a, a sack of potatoes and a potato peeler.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's actually what happened to him. Okay. Um,
2: I you know I think uh, wait, tell me again the movie you suggested.
1: Uh, so far we've suggested from David Kurosawa's, and then I do want to do Blowout at some time. I want to do some De Palma. I would really like to do Black Dahlia. That would be cool. Okay. Because I saw that with Tess. You're a girlfriend, right? Yeah, after my we girlfriend. broke up because she used to be my girlfriend, and. Uh,
2: I didn't break them up, for the record.
1: No. No. No, you came to me, and we're we're just like, I'm not going to date your ex-girlfriend. I'm like, just date the girl. She likes you. And it she seems ki- to have worked out well. Yeah, and she kind of... I kind of, she, I kind of owed her, because I was dating her best friend, and still am.
2: So. <laughs> you you owed her me.
1: Yeah, I, I, I owed her my best friend. Um, anyway, <laughs> all personal melodrama aside, uh, Black Dahlia?
2: Okay, that's a good or, suggestion. Or and, did Bad Sleep Well? And now, for mine... I think this is much needed. It doesn't mean we have to pick it, but more in terms of what it represents, I think it's needed. We have been so damn serious. We have not done a single comedy that I can think oh, of. Oh, you're right. Since we started this, it's a good point. I'm gonna suggest a movie that we did for understudy. Uh, I'm gonna suggest In the Loop. Uh, yeah, because I haven't seen it. Yeah, that's a good one. But bottom line, sooner or later, we gotta. We gotta lighten things up. We gotta
1: do some comedy. People you know? are
2: getting sad.
1: Well, I, I think they're just getting dramatic. <laughs> like with their everyday <laughs> attitude towards things, they're just like, "I'll have a triple grande, whole milk
2: with whip mocha." I know, and then none of that whipped cream ends up on anyone's face. It's tragic.
1: <laughs> no, it's just dramatic.
2: All right, how about this? Uh, if anyone, anyone. Actually, goes tweets on us. yeah, tweets us or goes on the Facebook page. Not
1: anyone, not not your girlfriend or my girlfriend.
2: Okay, not not them.
1: Anyone who listens to us who doesn't know <laughs> us personally.
2: Obviously, <laughs> our girlfriends don't count. Um,
1: no, <laughs> well, no, they're women. God, <laughs> sorry, I'm alienating Ben again.
2: <laughs> and I think you just did. You just called Ben a woman.
1: Wow. Okay. Um. Uh. What's a good bonehead comedy with Katherine Hepburn uh, from the 1920s about well, wait, uh, wait, wait. I a think, dog?
2: I, I, wait, wait. Okay. No, I think we have our three. Here's what I'm saying. Okay. No, that's a comedy to do. Yeah. No, no, here's. Oh, you okay. suggested In the Loop. We have In the Loop, we have The Bad Sleep Well, and we have Black Dahlia. <laughs> the Bad Sleep Well. <laughs> Is that what it's called, The Bad Sleep Well? Only The Bad Sleep Well? No, no, it's called The Bad Sleep
1: Well. Okay. But The Bad Sleep Well <laughs> It's just still cracking me up. Like a well that if you drink from it, you'll have bad sleep.
2: Okay, yeah. no. All right, those are the three movies. The Bad Sleep Well, In the Loop, The Black Dahlia. If anyone other than our girlfriends apparently... <laughs> Facebook us or Twitter. us. Anybody who is
1: a member of Ben.
2: And anyone who's, who listens, if you guys give us suggestions, we'll listen to you guys. So, you know, message Absolutely. us. Let us know.
1: Uh, so what are we going to pick in, in case they don't tweet us?
2: In case they don't tweet us?
1: Yeah, if they don't tweet us, we've got to pick one of those three. Or oh, something else to do next week.
2: We, we, can, we'll, we can flip a coin. That The suspense will keep people coming back.
1: Oh, you mean we're not gonna pick?
2: We're not well, because we need to see.
1: Okay, well then our girlfriends do count because if nobody tweets us, then I'll just tell my girlfriend to tweet me one of the three. Okay. All right. Okay, girlfriends, you count again, even though you're women.
2: I, I'm not commenting on this.
1: Okay, so we would like our listeners to choose from, in the loop,
2: the Black Dahlia,
1: and the Bad Sleep Well.
2: The Bad Sleep Well. <laughs> Inflection matters
1: And also the addition of the word the So we'd like our listeners to choose between those Or anything else Or just b- choose between those
2: Those three, those are the three Okay,
1: choose one of those three listeners And we'll do what you say And if you don't, we'll pay somebody to choose So we look good
2: Mecha leka hi, mecha ho
1: I do like women Anyway, here's the theme song Please tweet us your comments and suggestions at C-A-R-N-Y Couch or on our Facebook page at Carnivorous Couch or on our website, CarnivorousCouch.com.
0: Thanks. (laughs) Carnivorous Couch, it happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous Couch, with Brady and Rob.